Jason could not have had a better setup for where we're headed today. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Samuel 6, uh, and we're going to talk about the ark, actually. So, uh, now, it, uh, I've, said, I've shared it many times that what the Lord speaks to one, He's usually speaking to multiple people when He's actually speaking, and uh, we've seen it happen here multiple times. We've We've seen people in Africa getting words at the same time we're getting words at this church. We see people all over. God's just speaking to his people right now. And uh, it is exciting. And as we're going to 2 Samuel 6, I will also say there is in the works to have a true community worship event come up. Ryan's helping to organize that. We don't know what it looks like exactly yet, but pray for him because this will be a first the way it is. So they actually are going to have a community event it's not going to be at a church and uh he's got other people he's working with outside of our church to make sure it's not just us and uh i mean you guys know we've been called to that for a long time but we just haven't been able to make that happen <laughs> so god god said hey watch what i can do so uh second samuel 6 and we're starting verse 1 and then we're going to pray Said David again, gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from uh, Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Yuza and Ahio the sons of Abinadab were driving new, new cart with the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. So I want to open in prayer before we get into this, because uh, there's a lot here. So. so Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would just be with us today. Lord, you would speak to our hearts, God, that you would get me out of your way, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just speak, and our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us, Lord. And that each of us, Lord, be completely changed by what you'll speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so David realizes at this point that he is, uh, the way that they will be blessed in Jerusalem is by bringing the ark back. Right? It's very important. Uh, having that ark, the presence of God, he knew that's the only way God's blessing would be there. As Jason was sharing in his opening there, was it, uh, you know, without the presence of God, we have nothing. And uh, David had the right idea. But then we see, like, we, anybody who ever reads a story, you know, like, tragedy ensues. And uh, it's not taught a whole lot from the pulpit as much, because it's more of a teaching story, usually, uh, because a lot of people are just like, well, somebody dies, don't touch the ark. That's kind of what you get out of this. But there's actually quite the message in this. I don't know what I just did. I just lost my... There we go. Uh, so I'm going to start back from top. I want us to understand this. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him. About Judah to bring up the uh, from there the ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. There is a lot right there. If you've 
if you know anything about uh, Jewish tradition in the ark, first thing you do before you would ever, there'd be a great preparation for the ark. There would be a sacrifice that had to be made. There'd have to be a blood sacrifice. There'd have to be different things that had to be done before you could even move the ark, right? It was also said in Numbers 5, the only way it should ever be moved is if, if the Levites were carrying it. The priest had to carry the ark. And here they are, they're going up, getting everybody ready to go up and get the ark without a sacrifice that we hear of, and they're going to carry it on a cart drawn by horses. Well, probably ox. I would almost guarantee it was ox, right? And uh, so God never wanted them to carry it on a cart. So where do we think they got this idea? Sort of. You guys ever like been at a Christian bookstore or watching TV or anything like that? And there's always this like, how to get closer to God in, in 30 days or how do you, you know, how to get rich quick or, you know, there's all these things of, you know, how to get something done fast. If this was that, like if this story was happening today, it would have been written in a book, but instead it wasn't written in a book. It was probably passed down, well, not for that long. Because if you go, like, we're in Second Chronicles 6. If you go to First Chronicles 6, the ark was moved also, right? And I'm not going to go back and read it all because I'd, we'd be here a long time. But in First Chronicles 6, the ark was taken by the Philistines, right? They had possession of it. They stole it. And then wrath ensued because they took the ark. And God's not going to allow that, right? So wrath ensued. And so their idea is we have to get rid of this ark. We got to get rid of it as quick as we possibly can. Guess what? They're not Jews. So first off, they're not under the same law as the Jews. Secondly, if you are a Philistine... You probably, as your wrath is ensuing on your people, you probably do not want to touch this ark. Right? They understood, touching the ark, you die. So they put it on a cart, pulled by two milk uh, cows, and it says they released the two milk cows to go. And the two milk cows, if they were to go the right way, then they would be okay. And they did. Those two milk cows took that ark all the way to uh, Israel. Right? So, fast forward, Second Chronicles 6, we're about to move the ark again, and they're like, man, did you see how quick that was? How easy that was? Man, we can get the presence of the Lord back in one easy step. We'll put it on a cart and we'll bring it right on back. Nobody has to have their shoulders hurting, their back hurting, you know. A lot of these guys are older now, and they're kind of like, even David's mighty men were a little bit older, and they're probably like, you know what, we can save some time here. We'll put it on a cart, and we'll go. And uh, it's kind of how we do it, right? We kind of sometimes want that quick fix to get into God's presence or that quick fix of God's blessing, and we think, how can I do this? Like, you know, I don't really want to just sit in prayer and read the Word and how can I do this quicker? Maybe I'll just turn on the TV, right? 
they're using the, the newest technology that they just realized you can move the ark with. We use the newest technology to get in God's presence sometimes because we think it'll be quick, right? Or the newest scheme or whatever it is, right? I, I, uh, I've shared this many times with people that um, there's a time that I wanted to make sure, like people kept telling me, you're going to overdo it, you're going to overdo it, you got to make sure you're not doing too much, you're going to burn out and... I never really felt like I was doing too much that burn out. And I would talk to Rod and he'd be like, as long as you're listening to God, it won't happen. Like, just listen to the Lord. Don't get before the Lord. And uh, and then when he passed away, it hit me that maybe he was wrong. Right. The guy who I always trusted. And, and the same one that when I was in prayer, I always knew the Lord was telling me what to do. So I start reading books like, how do you make sure you don't burn out? And there's all these great ideas from people on how you don't burn out. And I'm reading every one of them, and all of them were horrible ideas. Let me rephrase that. Probably a good idea for the person who wrote it, maybe. Some of them were not. Uh, definitely not me pursuing the Lord. I was trying to get that, get my answers quick thing, all right? I wanted that blessing fast. Uh, not to say Christian books aren't okay but they're not our first go-to, right? And uh, we often do that, just like David did it here. He's like, how do I do this quick? What can we do here, right? And he put the, he, he made it look good. Like he, he put together a nice procession, you know, he has the music people and he does a good job. But, and then it says, and Uzzah and Ahel, the sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart. And I'm thinking, like, if I'm these two guys, I am probably pretty excited. You know, it's coming out of our dad's area. We're at his property at the threshing floor. And we get to drive the cart. Right? Now, mind you, not yet has anybody even thought about the presence of God being there. Right? They're, they're not thinking of that. They're thinking about how do we get this cart home? How do we get the presence of God to where we want it? Right? That's what they're thinking. Uh, oddly enough, I looked up the names of these two guys, Yuza and Ahio. Yuza means strength. Ahio means friendly. Now, when we're trying to make a great movement of God, what are the two things we usually rely on? We rely on the charismatic people who are very friendly, and we rely on those who are strong that can carry some stuff. Right? And so these are the two in the front. The friendly guy is in the front. The strong guy's in the back pushing. And that's what we do, right? We often have these great plans. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is scripture, you know, like this is, you, you read it and you're like, huh, interesting. But so here they are with this great plan to get God's presence back to Israel. And uh, their plan. So we move on in verse 5, and it says, and David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with song and lyres and harps, tambourines, castanets and, and cymbals. I don't know what a castanet is. Ask Ryan later. He may be able to tell you. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand of the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And I remember when I was younger, I always looked at this and I was like, that is crazy that this guy tried to stop the ark from falling, reaches up and fixes it, and God kills him for it. 
And if we're not paying attention, that's exactly what this looks like. It looks like, hey, he just had to quickly stop that thing from falling. But if they were truly where they were supposed to be, they would have had reverence for the awe of what was in front of them. They would have knew the presence of God was right there. They would have knew that God said, do not touch anything holy or you shall surely die. Right? These these weren't the people. They weren't the high priests. They weren't the ones that were supposed to be in there taking care of things. Numbers 5 has a whole listing of this. Numbers 4. Yeah, Numbers 4 has a whole listing of how these things should play out. And uh, they weren't following. They were not following what God asked them to do. And so we can look at it and say, well, it was stumbling, and he reached out to catch it. Well, first off, it wasn't even supposed to be on the cart, right? First off, you're already in error. Secondly, he wasn't even thinking of what he was doing. He didn't had no idea of what he was, what was there, and he just touches it. And uh, I just always think, like, I would have done the same thing. Don't get me wrong. I would have. I probably would have thought, like, you see me save that as I'm dying, right? And uh, it would have been my plan. It would have been my thoughts. And he died there beside the ark. It says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down therefore, there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry. Because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Anybody know what Perez Uzzah means? This is how creative these people were. Yeah. Yeah, outburst against or broke out against Uzzah. And like, it's just what happened. (laughs) And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Right? Anybody ever like been pursuing the Lord and you're you're not really doing it right? You have this whole scheme of things like Jason talked about it a few weeks ago in Evansville. Actually, like you're like I'm going to read at this time. I'm going to listen to the word or the music at this time. I might even get into this at this time. And you're going through all this stuff, yet you feel further from the Lord than you ever have because you're trying to fulfill some things to make this happen, right? Well, that's where David's at. He's like, how can I even get the presence of the Lord here? It's not even safe to do so, right? And uh, I know I've been there. I'm like, Lord, why am I not hearing you? Why are you not here? It's because we do things out of our own thought process and our own actions, just like they were, and David knew better. It wasn't like David was one of these people. He wasn't like the Philistines. They were like, we don't know what to do. Just get that thing out of here, right? He knew what he was supposed to do, and he didn't do it. So when Uzzah dies, it's not on God. It's actually on David. He was in charge of all this, right? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Jittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Jittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And Obed-Edom is one of my favorite people in all of Scripture. Uh, I have studied Obed-Edom so many times, and and the more I study Obed-Edom, the more questions I have about Obed-Edom. 
It's a true statement. I've been studying this guy for 15 years, and I don't know any more than I did 15 years ago necessarily, except for what kind of person he was. But when you see there that it says Obed-Edom, the Jittite, the Jittites were the people from Gath. The other person we know famously from Gath was Goliath, right? So he would have looked, appears to be a Philistine. Now, some of your top uh, theologians will still say Obed-Edom was a Levite because of He's in the presence of the ark. Uh, I just can't find it. it uh, everything I see tells me right here, Jatite. Never again does it tell me ever that he's a Levite. Now, I will say there's Gath Ramon, Romain, Roman, that is also a Jewish place, which would have been where some of the Levites would have moved to. They would have not been in, in charge of the Ark, though. They would not have been high priests. They would have still been Levites. They could have been gatekeepers, which it does show Obed-Edom is later. Uh, or there's also people who would say that as you read through this, there it was a common name and there could have been more than one. Here's what I will tell you. I can go through Obed-Edom over and over about that name and who he is, but the one thing I will tell you was he's the only one in that time period who was willing to allow God's presence into his home. Right? He wasn't, I assume he wasn't scared of dying. And I was, And you may think, like, how would a Philistine be there anyway? How would David trust a Philistine? If you remember, after David slayed Goliath and then Saul's trying to kill David, where does David seek refuge? Gath. Right? So... We know from that story, as he's there, he actually makes friends. Uh, Eli, or Eli, whatever his name is, with an I. Uh, we know he was from Gath, and he's one of David's mighty men. And uh, so it's very possible he could have been one of David's mighty men. It's possible that it's just somebody David met there that he trusted. If he is a Philistine, uh, we know later on in uh, in chapter 26 of all this, or in First. Chronicles, we're in Samuel. So First Chronicles uh, 26, we see that David has 600 uh, Jittites with him as he's coming out. So uh, I don't know. I would not say either way. I will tell you that the man was blessed. So Josephus, who was around at the time of Jesus, writes about Obed-Edom. Right, And he, when he's writing about Obed-Edom, he said, In the time of Obed-Edom, before Uzziah died, Obed-Edom was a poor man. He didn't have much. But the moment he brought the ark into his home, within three months, he was one of the richest men in his area. Right? He, his, and you can see in his descendants later on, his descendants just multiply quickly. And then you also see, like, this is a weird thing that, that you learn when you start studying this stuff. I don't, I don't even know how it happens, but his daughters were having, like, whenever they were giving birth, it was like the three and four children at a time. It wasn't like one birth. So women, you're sitting here thinking, like, I don't even want twins, let alone three or four at a time. But that's the kind of blessing that was happening to him. It was multiplying. 
everything was multiplying because God's presence was there. And uh, now don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when you get in God's presence, you're going to get rich and you're going to have quadruplets. No, I'm going to say the only way you're truly blessed is in God's presence. Right? That's where blessings come from. And uh, so all that to be said, we're going to go forward, but Obed-Edom, very neat man, and uh, but he had a present. Or he had a heart for the Lord. Later on, you see, uh, if you check out the whole lineage of Obed-Edom, we know he was blessed for at least twenty generations because of this. That's a long time. I would like twenty generations of blessing. I'd like one generation blessing. Verse twelve says, "And it was told King David, the Lord." And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. This would have been great news. Because they see pestilence, they see everything happening in uh, to the Philistines, the wrath, because the ark is there, right? They see all of it happening. And then they're trying to move the ark, and then tragedy happens. So in his thought process, as he said earlier, was, how can we even do this? But then Obed-Edom has the presence of God in his home and blessings everywhere. So that caused David to say, okay, God's the blessing. He had to reevaluate, right? And it says... So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and fattened animal. And a fattened animal, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and his house of, of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sounds of the horn. And uh, so you're looking at this and we're like, well, that's pretty simple, right? But how did that look? We're going to go to Second Chronicles 15 to see how that looks. And uh, it does not look, or First Chronicles 15. It wasn't as simple as just like, all right, you went and got it and brought it up, right? There's always a story to everything. And uh, so in First Chronicles 15, verse 1, it says, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Jason talked about that tent where God just loved that tent of meeting. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. For the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. So David realized, okay, it's the Levites. It's those who know who are chosen, who get to do this, right? Let me tell you something. You were chosen to be in the presence of God. You were chosen to be there. You're chosen to carry His presence where you go. We are chosen, right? We're a little different than they were there, but David realized at that moment it was the chosen people who had to do it. He neglected that first time. He's like, just throw it on a cart and let's go because it worked for the uh, Philistines, right? It's like, get right quick scheme. That's what it always was. Then the Lord, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel 
at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites. Right, and it lists all these people. I'm not going to read them all because there's a lot of weird names in there. And then I sit up here and look like an idiot because I can't pronounce them. Right? You can pronounce them later. Then David summoned the priest, Zadok and Abathiar, and the Levites, Uriel, that guy, and those guys, and said to them, You are the heads of the father's house, houses of Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Okay, so you're thinking like, what does this have to do with me? We're not moving an ark. When we enter into God's presence, we should be consecrated to the Lord. We should not be going into God's presence as an afterthought. We not, should not be going into God's presence as a, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. We should be consecrated. We should be set apart. We should be Going in thinking, Lord, I want to be in your presence. It's all about you. We should know whose presence we are walking into. Unlike they did, they just walked in, right? We often like to go in somewhere where the presence is there and everybody's already there doing something and we just walk in and want to be a part of it. There's no blessing in that. There can be some emotionalism in that, right? You ever seen those people that go to like a big conference and get all emotional and they leave and there's no blessing that goes with them? Because there was no reverence for the Lord, right? They were not set apart. They were not prepared, right? But when we prepare to go in God's presence, we remember whose presence we're in, and we're sitting there, we're like, Lord, I love you. Thank you for letting me be here, right? It's when we recognize whose presence we're in. It's not an ark. It's not a box to us, and it wasn't a box to them. David knew it was the presence of the Lord. And he treated it as it's just any ordinary box. And when we get it back, then we'll be in the Lord's presence. And sometimes we do that. Well, when I get to that point, you know, I'll spend some time with God. But we, we have to always be focusing on whose presence are we in? Who am I set apart for? Who am I consecrated for? Like we talked about the other week in communion, right? When you do communion, you have to remember what it's about. You have to remember who you're... You're, you're celebrating. You got to remember, right? David's out celebrating, throwing a party about a box, and he's doing everything wrong. Now David's there worshiping the Lord. The big difference. They are worshiping and praising the Lord and celebrating. Oh, what a, it had to be awesome. Goes on and it says, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord your God broke out against us. So that's why I was telling you beforehand, wasn't the Levites that were carrying it. They were trying to trust it with whoever, right? We can't do that. We can't trust somebody to carry the presence of the Lord for us. We can't trust somebody to try to get us into God's presence. It's our duty. We are the chosen people, right? Because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priest... And the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. I always like that they carry it on their, on their shoulders, the poles of it. Because 
Later on, when we see Jesus talking, and he talks about that yoke we're to carry, how many of us ever pray like for God to do something, but we pray for that yoke to be put on somebody else, that burden to be somebody else's? Hey, why don't you go do that? Like, hey, God, provide somebody to do this, right? And uh, that's what David did. He's like, we're just going to provide some cows and uh, let them move this thing. And then we'll have these two guys that are already in the presence of it. We'll just have them go over there and do all the work. We have strength and we have friendliness. And uh, But God said, hey, don't be unequally yoked. He said, be yoked to me. And we are to be yoked to God. We're to be yoked with Jesus Christ. We're to be walking with him and carrying our own stuff. It's, our, it's, it's the presence of God. We have to carry that, right? It's not for somebody else to do. Now, should my brother Keevan be carrying the presence of the Lord? Yes. But that does nothing for me. Nothing at all. Now, I can watch him and say, you know what? I wish I could do that. And I can learn and I can come alongside and be yoked with God in that also. But him carrying the presence of God does nothing for me. Right? David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites pointed all those long-named people. And then it says, And the gatekeepers, Obed-Edom and Jael. I point this out because... Obed-Edom, as far as we know, was a was a, a Gath. He was a Philistine. Yet here he is in the presence of God still. Didn't leave. Serving. Now, as I said, he could have still been part of uh, Gath-Roman, or whatever it is. Ramon. Gath-Ramon is what it's called. He could have still been a part of that area and been a gatekeeper. But either way... We know he is there. He is a gatekeeper close to the ark. Now, if you went from poor to abundant blessings, are you going to leave the one who provided your abundant blessings? Right? Same goes for us. Remember when you were broken and you didn't have a clue where to go next? And you get in this presence of God. God's pursuing you. And you're like, God, I just want to be with you. I accept you as my Savior. I love you. I thank you for dying for my sins. And you enter in this great relationship. And everything's just like, oh. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't get rich. Maybe. Maybe you did. I don't know. But just the blessing of God's presence when he is around you. It's overflowing. Right? Do we do like Obed-Edom to we're like, hey, I'm going to be right there at that gate at all times. I'm going to be right there with that presence. It's not leaving me. Or do we say like, man, that was awesome. I can't wait to get back in the presence again sometime. You know, maybe next time the, the, uh, they put it on a cart and it falls, it'll come back to my house. Right? One of the things I've noticed in, in church circles for the last, I don't know how many years now, is this whole thing of... Man, I wish I can be a part of this, but I don't know if I can commit to it because something better may come up. 
right? There's a, there, when I ask any, like, I meet with a lot of people. And when I ask anybody, and some of you are in here in this room, and I ask, what is the number one thing the church is missing right now? The number one thing they would say is what, Travis? Huh? Commitment. Interesting. Number one thing that's missing in a church is commitment. Not commitment to the church, the commitment to God. Right? A daily walk, a daily commitment. Obed-Edom got in the presence of God and said, I'm not leaving. Not leaving it. This is the greatest thing ever. Right? And you're thinking like, yeah, but he got rich and all that. You know what? He's not staying home enjoying the riches God gave him. He could have. Instead, he went and stayed in God's presence. Not only does he do that, you go on and it says, uh, talking about the singers, and then in verse 21 it says, but Mattathiah, Ella, whatever his name is, that other guy in Obed-Edom, and Jael, and Azaziah were to lead the leaders according to the Shemonites. So here he is having another job. Right? Then you go on further down, and it says, Obed-Edom and Jehiah were to be gatekeepers for the ark. And then so on verse 25, it says, David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Before it was more of a task. Now they're rejoicing. They're doing what they should have been doing the whole time. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen. And also were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark and the singers and the, and the Chananiah, the leaders of the music and the singers. And David wore a linen, a linen if, uh, ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. This is the way it was supposed to be done. They should have been in the presence of the Lord with awe, with sacrifice at that time period. They should have done it the way they were knew they were supposed to do it. It should have been real. They should have been dressed in fine linens. Just like whenever we're re-entering in the presence of the Lord, we should be repentive. We should already be in the place of Lord. Thank you for your salvation. You've made me right with you. We're clothed in righteousness, right? When we get into his presence, right? Does it mean that we don't go to the Lord before we're clothed in righteousness? Of course we do. How do you think you get that blessing? That's where that blessing comes from. So now they're finally, we see David finally uh, clothed properly. Before he wasn't. We see the Levites there. We see the worshipers there. We see the people doing what they're supposed to be doing the whole time. We see a great celebration. How often do you get around the presence of the Lord and you're not even celebrating, you're not rejoicing, you just take it for granted, like David did? And David was the man after God's own heart. There's something better. And Tracy, you can come on up. It says, and as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window 
and saw King David dancing and celebrating, and she despised him in her heart. She despised David because here's David celebrating in the Lord. Here's David who's undignified before the Lord, right? He's just praising God because finally he's doing it right. He's got he's in the presence of God. And this lady despises David and it tells us that she is cursed forever. She never bears another child. Never for the rest of her life will she bear a child and there's always going to be those who despise when you're in the presence of God. There's always going to be, you know, Jesus said, I came to bring a sword to divide households. He said, you know, father's going to hate son and mother's going to hate daughter. And there's going to be this great divide because of me, right? He said, he didn't say he was going to bring unity. He said he's going to bring division. And the presence of God will often do that. Jesus will do that, right? One of us may be, we may sell out all in for Jesus. And when we're celebrating Jesus, there's going to be those who want no part of that. They're like, oh, there's those holy rollers, those people who think they're better than everybody else. I will tell you something. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're walking with Jesus Christ, you are better than everybody else, but only because of Jesus Christ. Right, we don't ever have to be like, no, I'm, I'm just like you. You're not. You've been changed. You've been set apart. You've been made righteous. People need to see our righteousness. They need to see the presence of God. They need to see us carrying God around with us. They need to see us as different. Right? They need to see that. I've, I've said it. it. I don't know why anybody would want to be a part of something that looks just like what they already have. There's no way I'd want to do that, right? If you were a, an athlete, right, and you played in Little League and then you went to high school and played and then you went and played in, let's say, your baseball and you go to the minor leagues and then you go to the major leagues, but in all that, the competition never changes, the pay never changes, anything else never pay, changes, why would you care to move up, right? Why would you change? If your boss says, hey, I got a promotion for you, you're going to make the exact same amount of money. You're going to do a little more work. And you'll never move up past that, but it is a promotion. Would you take that promotion? I'd be so super excited. Yeah, it'd be real exciting, wouldn't it? <laughs> same thing with the church. When we go to people and we're miserable, mm. we're not carrying the presence of God with us. We're acting just like it's another everyday thing and like we're just like everybody else. Who's going to say, like, that's what I want? <laughs> oh, negative Nancy, that's who I want to be like. Yeah. Right? Nobody ever does that. They want to see those per people who are rejoicing in the Lord, you know, and you see those people who can struggle. Paul said it, he said, hey, rejoice always in all things. Whenever you face trials and tribulations, rejoice in it. Be, be grateful that God trusts you with trials and tribulations. And uh, that's tough. But we should always be carrying the ark. We should always be carrying God's presence in holy reverence of who He is. We can be different. We can be Obed Edoms instead of Uzziahs, who's relying on his own strength, trying to stop this thing from falling. And uh, I don't know. I, I wonder how many times I've tried to prop God up and like do my humanly thing for God. 
And he's like, he don't kill me, thankfully. But sometimes, I, I guess it'd probably be easier if there was a fear of death from it, like immediate death. Then you may pay attention a little bit more. You're like, oh, Ariel just died. I better pay attention. You know what I mean? Like, we, we look at it a little different, but the grace of God is so good, right? We need to be very, very much paying attention. We need to be pursuing Him. We need to put Him in a whole place of where he needs to be. We need to see him as who he is. Not a box. Right? Not just this thing that we got to move from one place to another or this thing that we have to answer to or this thing that we need. No, he's God. An amazing God who blesses us, who provides all of our needs. Right? You guys get it. I'm going to close here in prayer and Grace is going to sing. If you need prayer, I'll be up here. Uh, Yeah, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that before the beginning of time, you already had to plan and you already knew. Your father said, hey, you're going to go and be their sacrifice. You were the sacrifice needed, Lord, for us to be in the presence of God, for us to be able to carry his presence. And that sacrifice was made before we even knew, Lord, that there was a possibility. If I got to thank you that, that you allow us to carry your presence wherever we go. That we get to be yoked to you at all times. Father God, I pray that you would right now, Lord, just show us. Show us how to be more faithful in this, Lord. Show us how to be more focused on you, God, and how we could always be reminded, Lord, of whose presence it is that we're carrying. Let us not try to do it on our own strength, Lord, with our own charm, our own our own gifts, Lord. Let us always be doing so in reverence of who you are. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Father, i got to pray you just be with each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. about at one time it goes into the tent of meeting and him and Joshua are in a tent of meeting and the presence of the Lord just falls down in the tent of meeting and all the people watch from their tents and that always was something that stuck out to me that here they are in the presence of the Lord in the tent of meeting and all were okay to go in at that point they all watch from the, the door of their tent. And oftentimes, like we can see God doing something, and we'll just watch. We won't enter in. If we go in there, what may happen? Somewhere else, right? Or who's going to take care of this? Or who's going to do that, right? We get the Martha mentality of Martha said, hey, who's going to take care of all this? And Jesus says, you just don't get it. What she was doing wasn't wrong. 
just wasn't the right thing. Right? It goes back to the the saying we have often around here is the enemy of the best is good. And sometimes we settle for what's good and God's like, I got what's best. Right? And uh, I don't want to just look at the presence of God. I don't want to just see other people like having a movement of the God. I want to be in that movement. I want to be in His presence at all times. And, uh, I don't know. I hope we don't just sit back and watch. Right? Father God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We love you. We're so grateful for your presence, Lord. There's no greater blessing than you. God, help us get out of our ways, Lord. Help us to deny ourselves, Lord. Help us to want you more than we want anything else in this world, Lord. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I pray your blessing over everybody in here, Lord. That you would go with us throughout our day, Lord. And remind us of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you all.